Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This edition of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Bet BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. For the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Today, on the Patriots Report, it's radio play-by-play man Bob Sosi talking about what the franchise needs to do this offseason, the changes on the coaching staff, and who he thinks is going to win the Super Bowl, and why. That's up right now on the Patriots Report. Let's start here. What are some of your initial thoughts as to how the Patriots have navigated the early stages of this offseason so far? Okay, so I'll start with uh, the first couple of days of the offseason for them from an organizational standpoint and as well a fan perspective. The letter to the season ticket members promising a critical evaluation of all aspects of football operations, making it clear the organization from top down wasn't satisfied with what took place, not only this past season, but really over the last four years, Mm -hmm. having now gone a second season among the last three without a playoff berth at the end of it, a fourth straight year without a playoff win, a rarity of course, over the last two plus decades for the organization. And then the ensuing statement that gained so much traction in, in the local media with regards to the, search for an offensive coordinator, the interview process to begin the following week, as the statement declared, and as well, the negotiations for Gerard Mayo, who of course, is uh, now we know in a supervisory role alongside Bill Belichick out in Las Vegas at the Shrine Bowl. So to me, like those were two clear messages from the organization to the fans. Like, this wasn't satisfactory, and it's not going to be moving forward. And we're intent, we're determined to make changes and we're determined to make the proper steps, take the proper steps necessary to get this turned around. And obviously they were steps that were completely uncharacteristic compared to what most of us are accustomed to in, in terms of the Patriots, uh, you know, transparency, so to speak, on the football side of things. So t- to me, when I start with the pre the off season, I begin at the very outset of it. And now where we are today, I thought over the weekend, it was so refreshing. It was so welcome from my point of view to see reports coming in from Las Vegas and that Shrine Bowl and the photographs that the reporters who were out there were taking of Bill O'Brien on the field coaching, mm-hmm. explaining things to the young quarterbacks, Bill Belichick getting his hands on with defensive players. Mm-hmm. And also even the list of prospects, and you and I were chatting offline, about the draft process. I, I haven't followed college football closely at all uh, since the start of the season. Uh, we'll get more into that in the spring. But just to even think about prospects and looking forward, it was kind of the onto moment for me mm-hmm. uh, from this past weekend. And I think for a lot of people who follow the team, you know, a, a sense now we're moving forward uh, collectively toward next season to put last year behind us. When I look at this very, or what promises to be a very eventful offseason, I'm always, I always 
refer back to the line from Apollo 13, where it's like, we need 500 things to happen in order and we're on like number eight. That being said, I think there's reason for optimism here, because if you look at what basically the checklist that LG and I kind of put together a couple of weeks ago, the first thing is you need to have one singular offensive voice in Mac Jones's ear moving forward. Now, whatever you think of Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick, the way they handle things this year, the funneling of that information, one voice, one person to talk to on the sidelines, that's a great step forward. You have to do some other stuff too. You have to improve your tackle situation. You have to improve on special teams. But I think that if you're looking for a good place to start, that is as good a start as any to your offseason if you're New England. I would agree, Chris. And I think, you know, you start with the purpose, the role of an offensive coordinator. It's the conception of the offense. It's it's the design. It's the implementation of that offensive scheme. It's the play calling aspect of it, which, of course, you know, gained so much attention, rightfully so, from last summer, last spring through the beginning of this offseason. And I think you're absolutely right about the relationship between the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach and the quarterback and there has to be a trust there has to be a a two-way line of communication between the coordinator quarterbacks coach and the quarterback because he becomes that coach on the field that's part of the the position and and so i think you're absolutely right that that was the most essential thing for them and it was a very obvious step to take you know i and when i mentioned the statement the patriots made with their press release i also think retaining gerard mail was a very important step for the organization from a selfish standpoint. Not that the Patriots are ready to move on from Bill Belichick, uh, because I know a lot of people uh, maybe infer from the choice, the reports about Mayo's elevation and as well, understanding what Belichick's situation is, age 71, you know, the status of the team uh, at, at its current state. But I also think, you know, he's got to be a guy to me who's near the top of the list or at the top of the list of the leading candidates mm-hmm. uh, to be a succession of Belichick. But more than that, it's about retaining some of the young, bright minds that we have seen go elsewhere to other organizations in the past. And I, I think really had a profound effect on the team the last several years. Now, I don't know what the state of Nick, uh, 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 Nick Cayley's, uh, you know, coaching career will be now that his contract is up with the Patriots moving forward, whether he'll be back in, in Foxborough. But he's a young coach, for example, that I'd like to keep around, but you know, maybe headed elsewhere. And the kind of young coach that the Patriots have lost. Well, I think Gerard Mayo is, is, is more than that. He's a great Patriot. He's someone who's a leader of men. I know that's a cliche or a, a statement that uh, I think has is, is become more lip service than uh, practice uh, in some circles when you hear some of the coaches get up and, and utter it uh, to, to you know, a press conference audience. But I think with Mayo, I mean, he's proven that. I, I, think his, I think his qualities as a person, his qualities as a communicator, his knowledge as a football coach, knowledge as a football player when he was in a Patriots uniform and quarterbacking that defense. Yeah, to me, that's a very positive step for the organization to keep a guy like that in the fold. And also, as he continues to develop, to make sure that when his time is right to be a head coach, that if he's not the guy for your organization, at least he's been given that consideration and, and it's been in a position where maybe – you know, he takes that step in your organization, if that makes sense. It's not to force Bill out by mm-hmm. any stretch. Not that Gerard has, has been promised that. But I, I just think that was a real important step from a personal standpoint, 
maybe because I like him so much. I think he's a, he's a very funny guy. He's yeah. a very intelligent yeah. guy. He's just a great guy. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. Two things that make me, you know, I, I want to kind of piggyback off that. I'm, and I'm glad you bring that up because that was going to be one of my next questions. The idea of, you use the phrase elevation of Gerard Mayo. I, the phrase that comes to mind, at least at the start of this offseason, has been empowerment. Uh, this is a guy who has reportedly sat in on the interviews with the offensive coordinators. Um, if, if reports are to be believed that you know he's going to be named some sort of associate head coach or assistant head coach, I can only ever remember one other guy that Bill has kind of gifted with that title, and that was Dante. And now we know that Dante was, you know, said he was going to be an offensive line coach. He was going to be an offensive line coach until he didn't want to be an offensive line coach anymore. But I, I don't know if Bill has ever empowered, similarly empowered an, uh, an assistant coach underneath him, you know, other than Dante ever since he arrived in 2000. You know, Chris, I, I, not to my knowledge, and I, I'll tell you another thing too. I think it transcends the position group that those people coach. Because when I think of Dante Skarnakia, well, he worked almost exclusively, but certainly primarily with the offensive line. That's his forte. Dante carried such weight in the locker room with yeah. every member of the team, every member of the organization. He was integral as well in the success of the Patriots rushing offense through the years in terms of scheming and executing. And as well, the impact that he had on his fellow coaches. And Gerard certainly has only a small fraction of coaching experience in comparison to someone like Dante Scarnecchia with his three plus decades in New England. But I, I think that there is something to having someone like that who commands the entire team, uh, team's respect. Uh, not that Gerard Mayo is going to work with offensive players mm -hmm. uh, necessarily, but I do think that you know having someone like him the same way with Scar, because when you hear people who played for the Patriots while Scar was an assistant coach for so long or an ass assistant associate head coach, you know, you hear great things from the offensive lineman, obviously, but you hear the same things from everybody else yeah. you know, who, who didn't play the yeah. offensive line. Yeah. That's really true. It's really true. One of the other things when it comes to Mayo, and this is part of a larger conversation, we we've seen kind of the surge again, I go back to the phrase empowerment of Gerard Mayo, you know, that Troy Brown's on staff. Uh, you know, that Billy Yates is on staff. If they hire Adrian Clem or Ryan Wendell, as you know, reports indicate, you know, both of those guys were in the mix for a job in Foxborough, there could be as many as four guys who played for Bill in the past who would now be working with him as assistant coaches. I can never remember Bill having four guys on staff. I know there have been guys who've kind of come in and out, Raven and Pepper Johnson. Does this signal a, a change in his overall philosophy? Is this coincidence? What's your take on that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I and I think about a question to Bill during the only owners meeting that I ever attended. Uh, and he was asked about the pipeline, this feeder system, farm system of player personnel, scouting, coaching, prospects that he had cultivated. And he talked about it being the only way really mm -hmm. to do it, going back to his Cleveland days, that he had told Art Modell the same thing he told Robert Kraft. That's the way to do it. And there are young people who work in the organization in various capacities who started on the ground floor who are still at that level, just the way Josh McDaniels did and Brian Dayball and Matt Patricia, et cetera. But I think with the quote unquote brain drain in recent years, a lot of those young people who, who might have been here for an extended period of time 
you know, have gone elsewhere. Josh took uh, young coaches with him. Now, some of them had experience outside of the organization. They weren't raised within the system the same way, like Mick Lombardi, uh, for example, or Carmen Brasillo. Carmen had coached the college level uh, before becoming a Patriots uh, assistant offensive line coach, you know, and, and a co-offensive line coordinator or coach, if you will, alongside Cole Popovich. But I think when I look at the overall situation, you know, maybe this is the reflection of so many people being lost to other organizations because, you know, in, in a short period of time, you had Matt Patricia, Joe judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at uh, Brian Flores, uh, you know, you, you think about Josh McDaniels as well. You know, all these young assistants who came through the pipeline in that fashion, who move on to other places. And you see the Monty Austin forts and the Nick Casarios move on uh, to other organizations. Dewan Daniels is a scout who is, is a really bright football mind and a rising front office star, I think, in this game, who's gone elsewhere since you know I started uh, calling Patriots games a decade ago. So I, I wonder if that's part of it. I think there's the trust factor too. Bill knows these guys. He knows the the yep. the, the fabric of, by which they're of which they're made, and and uh, you know certainly has that trust factor with them, uh, certainly with, with, with Troy and, and Gerard in particular, mm. he signaled uh, or uh, indicated uh, publicly just how much they meant to him uh, the week the Patriots were preparing for the Bills after the uh, terrible situation in Cincinnati with DeMar Hamlin and, and uh, his cardiac arrest and the Patriots and the Bills during that week trying to deal emotionally with what had unfolded on Monday night while trying to prepare for a football game. And Bill spoke of the importance of Troy and Gerard in particular, having been there and done that. And I'll just quickly add to it. I think it's, it's quite a departure as you've, as you've explained. Uh, when I think back to a time early in my tenure, when some of the criticism of the Patriots staff is that they didn't have enough former players mm-hmm. on the coaching staff. Uh, there have often been a lot of young people that come in, uh, in, in and they've been very good coaches at this level, like Josh Boyer. And I think Mike Pellegrino does a terrific job who came from either a, a small school outside the NFL or even came from another sport uh, in terms of their athletic backgrounds into the NFL. I wonder, and this is just pure speculation on my part, that if this is also a way for him to connect or maybe do a better job connecting with the players that he feels like he's getting a little bit older and he, you know, not losing touch, but it's another way to kind of keep your fingerprints on this roster by putting these guys, you know, in charge of positions, you know, Mayo obviously has a a larger role, but, you know, you look at someone like Billy Yates or, you know, again, you know, Adrian, Adrian Clem, Ryan Wendell, these are all guys who obviously are younger guys who, who played, you know, who played for them. And I think that matters sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if, it matters so much, you know, maybe the previous generation of Patriots players because those coaches, you know, really truly established their bona fides, you know, with multiple Super Bowl rings. But I think it matters with some guys that, you know, look, this guy's been in the league for an extended period of time. This guy knew what it was like to get out there. This guy knows what it was like to play for Bill. You know, maybe he can provide a level of insight that another coach couldn't. Well, it's a couple of things, because I think that's part of the reason why I think it was so important. And when I speak of Gerard Mayo's greater effect, within the locker room and the team, I think, you know, there is that, that level of respect having been in their shoes, literally uh, as a former player wearing football cleats on that field that they play on every Sunday when they're home in Foxborough or on those practice fields behind the stadium, Uh, having been there and done that. And as well, having that connection to players and it's, and it's transcended the field too. Uh, Some of the players talked about Gerard's connections in the business world. 
and some of the mentorship that he has provided to them. I believe it was Josh Uche. Yeah. We spoke of that late in the season, or or, or, or or perhaps it was multiple players who spoke of that late in the season with regards to Gerard's impact, his effect on, the, on, on, on those young men off the field. And I think that's part of that communication that coincides with as well, the acknowledgement, the knowledge of, hey, he knows what it's like. He's been there. He's done on what we're being asked to do. And then I think the other part of it too, when you talk about the offensive line in particular, is they, they've had this turnover at that particular position on the coaching staff now for several years ongoing. And it started with Dante's retirement. They had Popovich and Brasillo and Popovich, of course, during uh, the, the lockdown year, the shutdown year with COVID because he was unvaccinated, uh, was let go. You had a situation where Priscilla goes to Las Vegas after I think a, a successful, very brief stint overseeing mm -hmm. the offensive line. And, and now you, you're coming off a year in which Matt Patricia started as the offensive line coach, uh, play caller, coach advisor. But by you know the, 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 the second week of the season, really re according to reports by NBC Boston and the work, great work Phil Perry has done, you know, it was Billy Yates really running the offensive line. So I think having some people that have been there, but also connected uh, to Skarnecchia, guys who have played under him and coached under him, it's not a surprise that those are the kind of guys who are candidates uh, perhaps to join the staff. And I would say of Wendell in particular, uh, because I don't know much about Adrian other than, you know, when he was drafted and by whom he was drafted when he became a Patriot, uh, as well as, uh, you know, his odyssey in, 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 in recent years, bouncing from one position to another. In the case of Wendell, David Andrews has been outspoken numerous times about the mentorship mm -hmm. that Ryan provided to him and how Wendell really uh, delivered the message on a daily basis to David Andrews about what it takes to play in the NFL on the offensive line in, in just as much exhibited that to him, exemplified that to him and helped Andrews go from undrafted free agent, long shot to make the team to longtime captain and starter. I'm glad you talk about the offensive line because I want to hit on that next. It's my philosophy that that specifically the tackle position along the offensive line, that's the greatest position to need for this team this offseason, as well as you know, adding some speed on the outside, both at cornerback, obviously it depends on what, you know, Jonathan Jones is going to do when, you know, in the back end, what Devin McCourty is going to do uh, at wide receiver and defensive back. But it really, for me, starts with tackle. I was curious to get your take on where the biggest area of need this team has going into this offseason. Yes, you just hit on him. I mean, it's offensive tackle to me. I think it's cornerback. And I think it's a sizable, speedy cornerback. It is someone who can match up and at least help to contain those number one receivers, the Justin Jeffersons, the Stefan Diggs, give you a better opportunity to match up with them. Because I think as good as Jonathan was, and I think he more than acquitted himself, mm -hmm. I think it was a case really where you were hurt at two positions. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well as he played for most of the season. And I think he's a guy that, they should bring back. It's just my opinion. If, if the financials obviously align, uh, he's a guy that they will bring back, I think. But to me, they having a, a legitimate top flight, number one cornerback, then that allows Jonathan Jones to again, move inside and become a top flight, number one 
slot cornerback, mm-hmm. or maybe it's Marcus Jones who, who develops into that role and, and Jonathan moves out. I don't know. Uh, but I do think that that is, a, that is the second area to me that stands out the most. And then, and then wide receiver. And I don't know whether that is addressed by a trade, a draft pick at the top of the draft or very high in the draft. They used a number two last year, obviously on that particular position, they got to get more out of that position. They got to have more people that affect defenses, but I do think it all starts at the tackle spot. I, I, I think even as great as the quarterback play has been, for example, with Mahomes and, and Burrow and, you know, what Philadelphia has gotten from uh, Jalen Hurts and his development the last couple of years, when you look at three of the top four t- teams and how, how great pretty, you know, was toward the end of the regular season, mm-hmm. I, I look at things up front and I say difference makers, the inability to block Chris Jones. He wrecked mm-hmm. the Bengals' chances of getting back to the Super Bowl to me. The Eagles' dominance up front with their defensive line and, and, and what they do in terms of getting to the quarterback. So it, it, it's it's another example where as, as much as we're you know electrified and compelled to watch the guys who have the ball in their hands or catching it, running it, and throwing it, it's the guys up front that really make the difference ultimately. Elite quarterback play – but more, more so to me, the, the, the game wreckers who counter that elite quarterback play, and you got to have somebody to protect the quarterback. I don't think the Patriots have an elite quarterback per se, but I think they have a guy who, surrounded by the right circumstances, can put them in a much better position than they were last year. All right, we got the Super Bowl set, Chiefs and Eagles. Uh, I'm curious, what are some things the Patriots can take maybe from these two teams when it comes to team building? You just referenced kind of, you know, the guys up front being able to advance yeah, advance the chances of you know both quarterbacks but I, i'm i'm curious are there some other areas that you can look at and say look you know if the patriots are able to kind of make up some ground here one of the things that stands out for me at least initially is special teams specifically as it relates to the the chiefs the patriots were so great for such a long time because they won on the margins they, they you know they won on things like special teams and you're starting to see the chiefs lean more into that as well yeah you know i think the chiefs have an outstanding punter and, and, and are very effective in terms of field position on top of what they do. Uh, you know, and I, I know their, their return game was a bit up and down this year in mm-hmm. contrast to uh, the Chiefs usually under Dave Tobin and, and have been one of the best teams perennially in the league in that, in that regard. And I think Philadelphia obviously is a very solid team in all three phases. Uh, you know, I think that the, the, to me, I don't think you can overstate the problems the Patriots have on, on special teams and how much of a factor it was in the outcome of games last year to their detriment as opposed mm-hmm. to their success, which was the case in the past. They generally had a very significant advantage over the teams they played. And I say that about last year's team thinking they had a reliable place kicker in terms of field goals and extra points for the most part. They had one of the most dynamic return men in the game. And certainly to me, the most exciting return man they've had, you know, in my time consistently, you know, Julian was a great punt returner, Cordero Patterson, a great kickoff returner, but Marcus Jones in, in both kickoffs and punts, you know, every time he got the ball in his hands, you thought he might be able to do something special with it. And, you know, when I look at that, look at Matthew Slater's production still, I think about the season uh, Brandon, Schooler had, Brandon Schooler had as a rookie. Well, they should have had a great special teams unit, and it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I, I, I do think that the biggest thing they could take away, try to get an AJ Brown if you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? That try guy. AJ Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, find the next Brandon Graham. And I think Christian Barmore. I thought, I thought when he came back from his knee injury, the yeah. last couple of games of the year, I thought, you know, that's to me, 
start it up front. I'd love to see like with Judon, Godshaw, Barmore, the continued development of Uche. I'd love to see him in the fold. You know, if, if he stays healthy for a second contract, the development, I think the, the way Wise's overall game is improved. Now, I, I think up front, the Patriots can be a very good team going forward. And I think that could have a real impact on, you know, their prospects for 2024. All right. Who wins the Super Bowl? This is this is probably as much with my heart as my hand. I I, I, lo- I love everything about Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a player, and, and and I really appreciate Kansas City as a football town in general. Joe Tooney, you know, there, there's nothing not to like about him, but I can't root for the Chiefs. I can't pick the Chiefs even, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I try to be impartial. I I know it's blasphemy to to say that you're you're pulling for Philadelphia, but Merrill Reese is. Merrill Reese is the guy, the oh, dean yeah. of NFL yeah. broadcasters, yeah. one of the nicest people on the planet. So I, I'd love to hear Merrill Reese say Eagles win the Super Bowl. And and, and I like Hurts a lot. I like the Eagles, the way they play, um, the toughness. I, I just think it's their defensive line that has the biggest advantage. I think yeah. with, with the Chiefs, it's primarily Jones, and then you got to account for the Blitzers. I think with the Eagles – it's those guys up front across the board. And to me, that gives Philadelphia the advantage in this game. But what do I I'm, know? I'm right there with you. I, it's, you know, the heart says the Eagles. And it's not just the fact that I have, you know, some some people who are very close to me who grew up in Pennsylvania, who grew up specifically in eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, it, but my head, I, I just, it's awful tough to bet against Mahomes. And then, you know, you, you also figure the weird little wrinkle into it that the NFL MVP has not won the Super Bowl since 1999, I think it is. So... Who knows what's going to happen? I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a fun Super Bowl. I think it's certainly compelling uh, on, on a lot of levels. Um, Want to get two more questions from you before we wrap up here. Um, Give me your prediction as to what's going to happen this offseason with Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater, first of all. You know, I would have said no way will Devin come back uh, based on just, just the feeling I got toward the end of the season. Uh, some of the things he said at the podium, uh, even acknowledging his the last home game that he thought about it potentially being his last home game, uh, how well he's done in the television world. Uh, and I thought Matthew was inclined to retire, but you know, then Mike Reese had a little nugget at the last week of the season, I think, mm-hmm. that it wasn't necessarily a done deal. Uh, then the report from Mike this past Sunday that Matthew's been at the facility. I think he still played at a high level. I think the... I, I wonder, Chris, if, if some of the stuff we've talked about during this podcast affects their decisions, bringing in Billy O'Brien, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, putting this this franchise back on track on the field. I have to imagine it was a very, very difficult season for those two guys, especially as veteran leaders, having experienced all the success they've had, to continue to be put in this position where they had to talk about the quarterback's frustration on the field or the struggles of the team week after week after week. Maybe... This the, the you know the things we're talking about that making that make fans feel good might might reshape their perspective. Yeah, Devin's a network star in the making, and he yeah. may already be considering yeah. how well he's done in his in his couple of auditions. I I, I still think Devin is likely to retire. Matthew, uh, I, I I would say probably I'd I'd lean maybe at this point just based on what Mike Reese has said and reported that he's fifty one, coming back forty nine. <laughs> retiring i hope i hope hope they both come back for selfish reasons and you know why yeah i I did both they're it doesn't get any better than both of them you know both on and off the field they're tremendous want to ask you to do you miss it at this time of year i mean because i i know i know for me 
in a lot of ways, it defined a lot of what I did professionally that, look, the months of, you know, December and January and early February, it was completely blocked off. It was all about big, important football games and being at the center of the NFL universe. It's it's intoxicating. Oh, no question about it. I mean, I think the the, the thing to me, Chris, is that, you know, and, and, and it's not that I don't want to be at home on Sundays with my family or don't want to do things, you know, in the air. I mean, I, I love having a little free time to, to go for a walk at the park or the woods to go to Blue Hills Reservation that I don't have sometimes, you know, in the fall and early winter. That being said, you know, we do what we do because we love it. Mm-hmm. I broadcast football games because I love broadcasting. I love football. I especially love broadcasting football games for the Patriots. And when I watch these games, it's, there's almost a feeling, and you know, surreal is a word that we often use when we're in, in those moments when we experience something that's terrific, that's fantastic. It's it's too good to be true. Well, when I watch these games, those moments that were true, but seemed too good to be true, that all seems surreal to me because it doesn't seem like I ever did that mm-hmm. or that I'm doing what those guys I'm watching and listening to are doing right now. And I, and I do miss that. But, but mostly it's just because I, I love walking into the broadcast booth on a Sunday and calling a game. It's, it's why I chose this path. Love it. Bob, thank you so much for your time. Thank Tell you, people Chris, what you're doing this off over, over the course of the off season. What do you do? How can they contact? Can, can they hear you? Can they, you know, can they follow you on social media? Where can they, you know, interact with you? Yeah, Chris, I'm, I'm uh, on, on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Well, Facebook, I have a broadcaster's page, but uh, it's one that I rarely update, unfortunately. Uh, Instagram, at Bob Soce, B-O-B-S-O-C-C-I. I am teaching part-time now at Emerson College. Uh, I was, I was uh, interested in teaching for a long, long time. Got my foot in the door with Emerson as a co-teacher of a sports public relations course. So I'm drawing on my early career in sports information as a collegian and shortly after college graduation, and then in the various minor league baseball jobs that I had as a a director of public relations, publications, and oh, by the way, broadcaster and sales (laughs) executive as well. So, (laughs) you know, I'm putting one of those many hats that I used to wear in Peoria and on the Delmarva Peninsula to use uh, this winter, uh, co-teaching a class in sports public relations. That's awesome. Well, hopefully we can connect again and maybe talk before the start of Training camp in what seven, six months, seven months. It'll be here before you know it. Absolutely, will Chris and congratulations on the book. Thank you and uh, your success and thank uh, you and as well your 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 wife's success too. It's yeah, great to see. yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have a couple of published authors in the family. She just uh, signed a deal with Simon and Schuster to to write her memoir. So it's 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 a lot of fun, a lot of work, but a lot of fun yeah. too. That's that's terrific. Thank you, Bob. Take care, and we will talk again very very soon, my friend. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just want to remind you one more time, this episode of the Patriots Report has been brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.